Today on Blue 58, a week out from the Packers' first playoff game since the 2016 season, we've got two great listener questions. First, is the Packers' offense too complex? And since the Packers have been bad at returning punts this year, what if they just never did it? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We are waiting to find out who the Packers will play next weekend. Well, by the time you listen to it, we'll, to this, we will know. As I record, the Saints have just finished up losing to the Vikings, meaning that the most likely outcome, the Packers playing the Saints next weekend at Lambeau Field, is not going to take place. The Packers instead are going to be playing the winner of the Eagles-Seahawks game. I don't have a huge preference who the Packers play. Uh, It would have been tough to beat the Saints. Uh, It would be nice to exercise some demons from this year uh, against the Eagles or from some point in the past against the Seahawks. Let's not... It's hard to nail down exactly which game you want there. Is it the Fail Mary game? Is it the 2014 season opener? Is it the 2014 NFC Championship game? Take your pick. I don't have a huge preference It is interesting to know that it's not going to be the Saints, though. And by, again, the time you listen to this, we'll know for sure who they're going to play. But since we don't yet, and this is the opportunity I have to record today, we're going to talk about a couple interesting listener questions. First, having taken my suggestion from episode 262 when I talked about a couple books you might want to read this offseason, Mickle went out and bought The Perfect Pass by S.C. Gwynn and got a a, a great head start on the offseason. And he had a question that came out of having read that book. He asks, quote, could Matt LaFleur's new offense to some extent be ridden by too much complexity so that execution suffers in forms of broken routes and timing? And the other insight he got from reading this book, that coaches love X's and O's so much that playbooks always tend to grow larger than what is necessary. Also, might the broken routes and timing be why Aaron Rodgers appears to do well on total points, as explained by Peter Bukowski on the APC website, Acme Packing Company website, on January 3rd? What do you make of the Packers' inconsistent offensive play? Is it skills or is it scheme? Great question, Mikkel. Thank you so much for writing it. First, that that total points aside that he mentions there, that's a great new thing from Sports Information Solutions that I want to talk about at another time, but you should do some Googling on that. Uh, there's there's some really creative things going on there, and I think that could be an interesting metric to add to our, our tool bag here. Uh, it could just it, – it might be broken – I'm not sure. I haven't dug into it fully enough, but I am intrigued by it, and I would like to see what we could dig out of it, if anything. It reminds me of a potentially slightly more precise version of Pro Football Reference's approximate value stat, which is an entirely different ball wax, but uh, that is something that we will talk about in the future. So I'm not going to specifically dig into that part of this question, but I do want to dive into this question about Lafleur's scheme. Is it too complex? And is it breaking down for the Packers at times because of the overall skill of their players on offense, or is it just the scheme being too weighty? The short answer here to me is probably skills. I think the Packers probably need two more regular, decent contributors on offense. A wide receiver and a tight end, preferably, although I would take two two wide receivers if they can't find a decent tight end. I think that that's been a pretty well understood part of the Packers offense, especially down the stretch here in 2019. They need more playmakers in the passing game, especially. But that's kind of a boring answer for a podcast. The Packers should get better players. What a great take. Every team wants to have better players. Let's talk then instead about why the scheme could be contributing to some uneven execution for the Packers. So to rewind a little bit, uh, the book that Mikkel read, 
the perfect pass is all about the air raid offense. And the basic premise of the air raid offense is that it has just very few plays to actually use. You want to be just really, really good at executing a handful of plays. Also, within that offense, you have a lot of different options for players to do. So their most famous play from from the air raid offense, four verts, just at a basic level features four guys just running straight down the field. But each of those four guys has different ways that they can break off their routes depending on the coverage that they're facing. And you drill that same play hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times so you know exactly what you're going to do. That is the basic thing of the air raid offense. Throwing the ball all the time, running simple plays, executing them very well, reacting to the defense. So as a start, that is kind of the the backdrop to which we are discussing all of these things. Comparing Matt LaFleur's offense, or basically any NFL offense, to to that, the, the simplest version of the air raid offense. First, to answer Mickel's primary question, do coaches sometimes get weighed down by their own love of X's and O's? I think absolutely this is true. This is something that happens regularly at every level of football. People just get too caught up in kind of their their own way of doing things. They think that what they're doing is the best and they just want to do more and more of it. And so they kind of get bogged down as a result. Mike Martz, uh, formerly of the, the St. Louis Rams and a couple other stops throughout the NFL, uh, the 49ers and the Detroit Lions, among others, he famously had a just enormous playbook. And it worked really well, but it was also a little bit cumbersome. Uh, I've also seen a John Gruden minicamp playbook that's something like 80 pages long. Guys were expected to come in knowing this, you know, being rookies. Uh, having just been drafted by the team like three weeks earlier, they were supposed to have the entire thing mastered by the time they got to John Gruden's minicamp. That's just a couple examples. It does happen. Guys get too excited about what exactly they're doing, and it gets in their own way. I'm not sure that's what hap- what's happening with Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur's offense is based on the illusion of complexity. That's a phrase that he uses a lot, and I think it's an apt description of not only what he does, but also what Sean McVay does uh, in Los Angeles. You want to be able to do simple things, but do them in such a way that the defense doesn't necessarily know what's coming. That's not to say things couldn't still be too complex if you don't have very good players to execute your scheme, and it always helps to have good players to execute to your scheme. But I don't think that's the problem. But what if it was? Let's say there is a chance that LaFleur's offense is too complex for the Packers. Is, does that mean it's too complex because the scheme itself is broken or because uh, of the players? So schematically, I don't think that's the problem. It's designed to be simple. It even uses some of those those concepts that we talked about in the air raid, particularly the mesh concept. I don't want to dive into exactly what that is, but if you Google air raid mesh, there's some good exp- explanations of, of how that is or what that is and how it works out there. Um but I don't think the scheme itself is the problem. Execution could be a problem if your players can't grasp how the concepts of Lafleur's relatively simple offense work together. The thing about the illusion of complexity versus taking something that's simple and executing it in a complex way is that you have to build up a lot of layers to get that illusion of complexity. The air raid, like we've said, thrives on options within options. Simple play calls, difficult at times execution. The West Coast or the Matt LaFleur version of the West Coast offense does have a lot of simple concepts in it. Your wide zone, uh, a couple different things from the the passing offense that 
get regularly trotted out among the the tape eaters on on Twitter. Uh, you look like your your wheel concepts, some of the mesh stuff that you do, your your intermediate to deep over routes. All of those are relatively simple on their own, but to get that illusion of complexity, you have to layer a whole bunch of stuff on top of each other. This is where your play and concept can be simple, but having to dress it up a lot leads to a really complex play call, a lot of, of verbiage out there. And I think this is where schematically you can run into things being a little bit of a problem for your players. There's not a problem with the scheme per se, but executing the scheme becomes an issue just because there's so much to absorb all the time. And you get those overly complex play calls that we talked about. This is why Aaron Rodgers has started to, to have to wear a wristband this year, because some of those play calls get so long to, to radio in uh, over, over the headset. Now, this is going to be kind of an overly simple example. But here's, here's a look at how play calls can, can vary from scheme to scheme. And this is with the caveat that this is a college offense versus a pro offense. Here are a couple play calls from an air raid offense and a, a traditional West Coast offense. If you haven't, you should check out the website footballxos.com, uh, footballxos.com. Uh, you can actually you can look at real actual NFL and college playbooks there. It gives you an idea what sort of things players and coaches are working with as they as they install these offenses. So this is from the 1999 Oklahoma Sooners air raid playbook, uh, a Mike Leach playbook. He's one of the air raid guys that you would read about if you read the, the Perfect Pass. Uh, an example play out of that playbook is blue right sixty. Blue and right are the formation. And 60 is the kind of routes that the receivers are running. That's it. If you wanted to throw a little bit of, of motion in there, you'd say something like blue right Z move 60. That's it. That's the whole play call. But also at the same website, you can get a look at the West Coast offense from uh, Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak from 2004. Here's a random similar Play call from that same playbook. Far west, right slot, two jet Z level. That's roughly the same thing, just from an execution standpoint. And, you know, there's going to be people who are, are diehard football playbook junkies out there. It might take some exception with that. But at a very broad level, it's, it's a relatively similar play. Got three receivers in a route. Uh, you've got instructions for every play out there, player out there in that play call, but it's just a lot more complex and that's where execution can be a problem it just gets a little bit weighty there's a lot to think about for players does all this mean that the scheme could be a problem in theory yes but if it is a problem and if that's why the offense has been a little bit consistent i think inconsistent rather this is a just a short-term problem it can take eight to ten to twelve or longer games to really feel comfortable in an offense i was surprised to hear that from multiple NFL people this this last offense or offseason, excuse me, while multiple offensive head coaches were were getting jobs throughout the NFL, they said it's going to be a while. Jeff Schwartz said it for SB Nation and the Athletic. Michael Vick said it in a couple different sources. Uh, I saw it pop up a couple other places, and I, I was surprised to hear that. But NFL players saying something like that, I guess, means that that should be a fairly decent measure of how this offense should be coming along. If you've got a player like Rodgers who is a little bit change averse to begin with. Going into a new offense for the first time since probably college, I think it's fair to accept some some growing pains for the first year or so. 
that could be where the Packers' inconsistent offense is coming from. To put a one-word answer, or as close to a one-word answer as I can get to Mickel's question here, is, is scheme the problem? Is the complexity a problem? Maybe. I, I would have a hard time pinning it on that exclusively. It could be a problem, and it could just be a matter of getting used to it. But it's never going to hurt to have better players running those plays. Our second question today comes from Rudy. This is Rudy, who we've deemed Rudy the good question asker on Twitter. Rudy asks something uh, that I really, really enjoy here. He postulates this theory about punt returns. Uh, quote, I'm starting to formulate a punt return theory. Always fair catch. And he lays out his premises. One, don't attempt to block. You risk an offside or other penalty that gives the team, the opposing team a first down and you're susceptible to a fake. Second, don't return because you have a chance of a fumble or a negative return or a penalty that would otherwise further move you back. So third, therefore, just fair catch. If you have a quality offense, why allow a specialist being paid peanuts to have a negative impact when your highest paid player, your franchise quarterback, has an opportunity to lead a drive? I'm calling this the Ty Montgomery rule. Do advanced metrics on punt return efficiencies exist? I'd love to see the risk reward breakdown. Just fair catch and let Aaron Rodgers run the offense. Couple of thoughts. Like I said, I really love this idea. A unified theory on punt returns is something that is extremely up my alley. So kudos to Rudy for giving us that. Secondly, I think the thought process here is good. The idea behind winning a football game ultimately comes down to always adding points to your side of the ledger, however that may be, either plays that set you up to add points or plays that score you actual points without having too many plays that subtract value from from your effort towards winning the game. So um, plays where the opposing team scores, plays that put you in a more difficult position to score, things like that. So I think the the real question here is when do punt returns actually help you get into your position to score better? And I think this is an opportunity for us to talk about expected points. This is a, a an advanced analytics trend that, is, that has gained some steam this year in the NFL. We haven't really talked about it at length on the podcast. I think we will at some point here in the relatively near future. But um, for for starters, just to get us started, to, to help us in this discussion, expected points is the idea that every Every position, every yard line on the field is worth a particular amount of points given your down and distance. The expected amount of points that you can score given where you are on the field will vary uh, depending on where you are on the field and what down it is. So just throwing out a number, starting a drive first and 10 from your own 30-yard line, your expected points from that position might be 0.75 or something like that. That's just throwing out a number. So you're when you're thinking about punt returns, you want to put yourself in a position where your your uh, your field position is is getting better. But there is also a point at which it may not be making that much of a difference. So what is that point where you're making a difference? Well, where do you start scoring actual points according to expected points? The opposing team's 35-yard line is about the threshold where you cross in from like fractional points or or like 2.5 points on on your your drive to three points. And that is important because you can't actually score less than three points on an offensive drive. I think we all understand that, but um, from an, you go from analytical, theoretical points to actual points. So let's call that the actual expected point zone. You, you're in the in the zone where you could theoretically really score points for sure. 
The goal then should be in to get into that actual zone. How often are teams getting into that zone? According to Football Outsiders, the average drive for an NFL offense this year was about 32, drive, 32 yards. Let's say 32 because that's about where the Packers were. You could even bump it up to 33. The Packers were at 32.84 average yards per drive this year. So let's just say 32 yards, a nice even number. So to get actual points on your drive, on average, according to expected points, your starting drive, starting yard line better be your own 33-yard line or better. So I think you could argue you should only return a punt if it's either if you're not in that zone already and you are you think you can get into that zone that's a pretty small window where returning a punt might actually be helpful because if if we we look at Rudy's other conditions there there are, is a possibility you could fall out of that zone where you have a likely shot at getting real points if your return starts at your own 35 but Trevor Davis catches the ball and makes a couple guys miss, but then starts to run backwards upfield, and suddenly, uh-oh, he gets tackled at your own 38-yard line or your own 28-yard line. Suddenly, your average drive isn't going to carry you into a range where you could reasonably expect to get points on a typical drive. That's pretty nerdy and specific, uh, but that's what the numbers say. Another way of looking at this is, is anyone in the NFL actually good at returning punts? Way back early this season, we talked about the Packers' propensity to run screenplays and how that might not actually be a good thing. We based that, again, on football outsiders running the numbers and finding that, on average, the vast majority of screenplays are not a net positive for your team. And you can dig into the numbers yourself to find out exactly why that is. But chances of of a, a screenplay doing better than just any given passing play are, are pretty low. That's not something that typically happens. The same is true for a lot of punt returns. According to Football Outsiders, only 14 teams in the NFL contributed positive value toward their overall cause by returning the punt by returning punts this year. The Packers ranked 28th in the NFL. Their average punt return subtracted value from their overall team effort. So in the Packers' case, to answer Rudy's question, it might actually be a better idea to just fair catch the ball on every every punt return. Because if you're already in that zone where your average drive is going to carry you into actual points range, your chances are you're just going to move yourself further away from that. And if you're outside that range, something really catastrophic could happen if you don't, don't fair catch the ball. Another way of looking at this is what do you really not want to do on a punt return? If the goal is to just get better field position to maximize your chances at scoring points, what do you not want to do? Two really obvious things come to mind. Well, three really. First, don't muff the punt. Don't touch the ball and give the opposing team a chance to recover it. That should be obvious, so let's just set that one aside. First, what do you really not want to do on a punt return? If it's all about field position, the the number one thing you don't want to do is commit a penalty. That was something that the Packers were really bad at in prior seasons. They committed penalties all the time on special teams. Not necessarily punt returns specifically, but they were penalty magnets on on special teams. That has actually improved under Sean Manega. It's improved 
in part because the Packers released Josh Jones, who is a one-man penalty magnet. He just committed penalties, it seemed like, just for the heck of it sometimes on, on special teams. But he's not with the Packers anymore, and they've been better on on special teams in terms of penalties as a result. Who would have figured? But the second big thing you don't want to do on the punt return, on a punt return, and this is something the Packers were really bad at with Darius Shepard on, on return, was just let the ball roll. Don't let the ball hit the ground and roll. How often do you see a punt hit the ground at the 25-yard line and really take off, and suddenly the Packers are taking over from their 10 or 12-yard line instead of the 25? That's a bunch of lost field position, and you've just moved from being outside that zone, just outside of it, where you could reasonably expect to end your drive with points, to being a first down or more away from even getting to that chance where you're your typical drive is going to take you to field goal range. So don't commit penalties. Don't let the ball roll. And if you can't do it, either of those things, just fair catch the ball. I don't know if that fully bears out Rudy's just, just fair catch the ball all the time theory, but at least I think it's a step towards that. If you can't be good at returning punts, you might as well just not return them at all. The final thing I wanted to talk about today, and this is relevant because the Saints just saw their season end this way, but I want to talk for a second about NFL overtime. This is my consistent beef with people who talk about about football, about NFL football in particular because they're the only ones that have these overtime rules. I think the NFL overtime rules are not great. But I also think they're fine as presently constructed. Could they be better? Yeah. Is there a pressing need to change them? I don't think so. As we know, as Packer fans should know pretty well, you can lose a game that goes into overtime if you give up a touchdown on the opposing team's first drive. Happened to the Packers quite frequently. But here's the thing. Especially in the playoffs, you're going to have a hard time getting me to listen to your sob story about losing a football game if you had one drive, one drive only, on which you had to stop the opposing team from scoring a touchdown and you couldn't do it. Your entire season is riding on one drive, one drive on which the opposing teams can't score a touchdown, and you let them score a touchdown. You're telling me in that situation you should be allowed to have another chance Man, that's just a hard sell for me. Just don't let them score a touchdown. Give your guys a shot. Better yet, put the game away in regulation. That way you don't have the chance of, of coming down to, to one drive where you have to stop the opposing team from scoring a touchdown. It sounds a little bit harsh, but I think as a Packers fan, as a Packers media person, whatever, we have a little bit of a, uh, I have a little bit of a built in excuse for saying, I'm I'm fine with this. The Packers have been burned by this many times, but you know what? They should have stopped the Arizona Cardinals from scoring a touchdown, from letting Larry Fitzgerald run all over the field for 75 yards or whatever it was. They should have not let the Seahawks score a touchdown on that opening drive. Whoever, however other many, however many other times the Packers have been burned by this, they should have just just one or two plays decided that game for the Packers in overtime. And if they would have had the foresight to say, you know what, let's not let guys get so open that they can easily score touchdowns, maybe the conversation would be a little bit different. 
it's odd to me, I guess, that it's a it's a semi-controversial take to say, hey, just don't let them score one touchdown one time. In these games where it's like a you, you end up with like 100 total points being scored, like that, uh, what was it, Rams-Vikings game from a, a year ago or whoever it was on, on Monday night or Sunday night football, where they were just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth touchdowns either way, that the argument holds a little bit more merit there. But defense should matter. And I think as much as we've made it hard for defenses to do the job, do their job in the NFL, asking defenses to do one thing, stop them from scoring a touchdown, not even a field goal, just a touchdown one time, shouldn't be too much to ask. So I've got for you in this episode more about who the Packers are playing this weekend, Wednesday and Friday. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we did on this episode, help us keep this going by rating and reviewing on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. It does help more people find the show. If you want to reach out and ask us a question, leave us some feedback, reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. As always, every question, every bit of feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.